Well, um, on October 1st, 1788, Deacon William Brody was hanged for theft in front of a crowd of 40,000 people, the largest seen to that date in Edinburgh, Scotland. He strode out to the gallows in fine clothes and a powdered wig, a fitting end to an extraordinary life. He was 47 years old when he was hanged, and until his arrest, he had managed to maintain the illusion of being a respectable craftsman. The prestigious title of deacon did not refer to religion, as many assume, but instead to his presidency of one of Edinburgh's trade guilds. His trade was as a cabinet maker, and his position as deacon of the incorporation of rights made him a member of the town council. Brody himself was a fine craftsman, specializing in domestic furniture such as cupboards and cabinets. Crucially, he was also a talented locksmith. Through his work, he had access to the houses of very rich people and was able to make impressions of keys, which meant he could come back at night and rob them. It is thought his criminal career began in 1768 when he copied keys to a bank door and stole 800 British pounds. He had been a member of the Cape, the most exclusive club in Edinburgh, but over time his interest turned to a disreputable tavern which was notorious for late-night drinking and gambling with cards and dice. In addition to his gambling, he was also supporting two mistresses and five children. He ran up debts during the night, but during the daytime, his business was thriving. For that reason, it's said of Brody's double life that it was the inspiration for Edinburgh author Robert Louis Stevenson's infamous character, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was published a century later. Now, I'm not talking about those kind of deacons, but I just kind of used it to get your uh, attention this morning by the term deacon that we use so freely around here. Um, this, is, this would have been uh, the 15th time that I uh, have delivered a message on the ministry of deacons, except I was in Africa in 2018, and Pastor Trey preached one for me. So uh, this is my 14th time preaching this message. Let me say I could preach it very easily, uh, maybe even without notes, and that's okay. That also means that you've listened to this message 14 or 15 different times in different iterations, and so you also know the content of what I'm going to say even before I say it. So why should you listen? Well, let me just remind all of you that a deacon is nothing more than a servant of Christ's church. And as a servant, uh, he, falls, or he falls into the ranks that all of us fall into in one sense, that we are all servants of Christ's church. And the character qualities that are written in this text for the, de- the deacon, the servant with the capital S, um, are, are character qualities that are not unique to this, these individuals. They're character qualities that should be pursued and on display by all servants 
of Christ Church. And so all of us should aspire to these and uh, be ready if the Lord should uh, ever lead us into uh, this kind of a ministry or this kind of leadership in the church. So our need this morning is to understand the qualifications and the significance of this ministry of the deacon. And in this passage, Paul lays out to Timothy the necessary characteristics of the deacon in the local church. And so from this passage this morning, we're going to consider the ministry of the deacon in relation especially to our election of deacons next Sunday uh, as well um, in our annual meeting, uh, as well as the ongoing service of deacons within our church. So what is this ministry? Well, I want to pursue this as I often have in um, three major points if you're taking notes. The first is definition. So let me quickly define uh, and talk about the language of what the deacon is. Uh, the word diakonos is the Greek word from which we get the English word deacon. It simply means, as I mentioned, a servant. We use the term today sometimes in very similar ways as it was used in the early church. We go to a service station to get gas. When we play tennis, we serve the ball. When we, we serve our employers, we serve our nation in the armed forces. In the New Testament, the idea of servant has three different levels of meaning. The first level is just the historical meaning. The, the literal historical meaning of diakonos was a waiter of tables, a server of tables. Uh, like uh, many of you who might go out to, to eat after church today, you may sit down and someone's going to come up, a waiter or waitress, and serve you. That is the literal historical meaning of diakonos, a table waiter. The, this term is used in the New Testament, like in John chapter 2, where there is a reference to waiters or deacons at the wedding in Cana of Galilee that Jesus attended. Um, the second level of the term deacon describes a group of Christians in the church who are using their gift of service or gift of ministering to build up the body of Christ, the church. The word is used that way in Romans chapter 12 uh, to refer to a gift of ministry or in a similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to refer to what it's translated there as a gift of helps. It's all the same word. It all has that, that, that level of meaning. The third level of meaning of this word diakonos is a scriptural office that's discussed in our text this morning. And as I often refer to it, it's like servants with a capital S. By the way, one of the distinguishing marks of Baptists, sometimes people say, why are you a Baptist church? Well, one of the distinguishing marks of Baptist, historically, is that we believe the New Testament teaches there are only two offices in the local church. The elders, also known in the New Testament as pastors and overseers, and the deacons, the only two offices that are distinguished in the, in the New Testament. So that's what, the, that's what it means. The, the language is that of a servant. Uh, secondly, let's talk about the qualifications. We have in our text 
a list of them, and I want to go through them in verses 8 through 13. Make sure you understand what they mean, also recognizing that these are character qualities you should aspire to as well as servants of the Lord's church. These are not just for the deacons to aspire to. So here are uh, the qualifications. Just before we get into those, let me give you just a little context. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. This is his first of two letters, right? Around A.D. 64, the church had been in existence for about 30 years. Jesus was crucified somewhere around A.D. 30. And so Timothy had been serving at this time as the, the overseer, the, the, the pastor, uh, Paul's representative in the church at Ephesus. This was a church that had grown. It was developed initially by Paul for three years. You can read about that back in Acts chapter 20. And then uh, it continued on under leaders that had been trained by Paul. And it become apparent to Paul that the church at Ephesus needed not only teachers of the word, who served as overseers and elders, that's described in the first part of chapter 3, but also administrators, workers, servants, to implement what the elders taught. A growing number of people had risen into places of official service, and so Paul is giving instruction to Timothy on the type of men who he should choose to do this work in the church. So let's go through now and give some explanation to this list of character qualities, starting in verse 8. The deacon must be, first of all, dignified. Uh, you, might, you might summarize that by the word serious. Dignified has the idea of serious. Now, the, the Greek word that's translated dignified here is the word semnos. It means, literally, serious. It could also be translated stately. It has the idea of someone who is serious in mind as well as serious in character. It refers to a person who has a stateliness about him that demands respect. Such a person has a majestic quality about him that makes, sometimes it makes people stand in awe of him. One who serves as a deacon understands the seriousness of spiritual issues. And, and, I, and I will tell you that sometimes when we talk about this um, to the deacons as we're interviewing them, sometimes I'll describe this as, even though in our, in our leadership meetings, when the deacons and pastors get together once a month to discuss the business of the church, to pray for you, to study together, um, when, when, when we get together, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of laughter. Uh, we make jokes, we, 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 we rib each other, we have, we have a good camaraderie together. That's not what this means. This doesn't mean we walk around, you know, like the old uh, uh, Puritans were uh, sometimes caricatured as, you know, just solemn and never laughing and always serious. It doesn't mean that. <coughs> it means that when we're dealing with serious issues, we don't make light of them. We don't make jokes of them. When we're, when we're dealing with serious issues, we handle them in a serious, reverent way. That's what someone needs to serve as a deacon. By the way, that's something that Christians also should practice in their lives. Christians should be dignified. Second, not double-tongued. 
This has the idea of not being a gossip, a malicious malicious gossip. This is the only time in Scripture that this Greek word appears, right here, the only time. Uh, It simply means two-tongued, double-tongued, two-tongued. What is a two-tongued person? A gossip, someone who is quick to discuss private matters. It's also the kind of person who will say one thing to one person and then say something else to another person to uh, meet their own agenda. We all have come across people like that in our lives, haven't we? Deacons are often privy to certain confidential matters within the church. And so they, they need to know how to speak with integrity at the proper times. There needs to be a high premium on honesty and integrity in their speech among spiritual leaders. And I would say among all of us as Christians as well. But a deacon needs to not be two-tongued. Third, the deacon should not be addicted to much wine. This idea means that they should not be a drunkard. The, the Greek phrase could be translated this way, and it, it, it's, it, it reads a little funny, but this is, this, if we were translated literally, it would, it, we would say, not holding near much wine. That's how the words read in, in the original language, not holding near much wine. And in, in a metaphorical sense, it means to occupy oneself with, to become addicted to something, to turn one's mind completely toward, to be focused on. So this is a person who is to be known as someone who doesn't allow drink, or I would say any kind of substance, uh, to influence his life, to anything that would uh, take control of this individual. Um, like drunkenness does. Uh, And again, that's something that should characterize all of us as Christians. Fourth, uh, the the deacon is not to be greedy for dishonest gain. That means just kind of what it sounds like it means. Uh, Not a greedy person. In the New Testament times, you'll remember, um, the people who served in the church would often be involved in in distributing money to widows and to orphans and to needy people. And our deacons still do that, by the way, 2,000 years later. They still do that in our church. Um, But in in the early church, they they would be collecting money as well and dispensing it for various purposes to carry on the businesses of the church. There were no banks at the time yet. There were no audit firms at the time yet. So every transaction in the first century was made in cash. And the people who handled the money would actually carry it in a little purse, a little bag, on their belt, on their person. You remember in Jesus' 12 disciples, one of them held the purse. Remember who it was? Judas, right? We infamously remember that he was the one who held the purse. But this was common in the first century. And so deacons would be people who would actually carry the church's money around with them on their belt. And so the temptation was always there to use the money for their own purposes. So an official servant in the church had to be free from the love of money. And I dare say that that is something all Christians as well should work hard at, shouldn't it? That we are free from the love of money. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of sins, the Bible tells us. Number five, uh, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, 
What does this mean? Uh, when we think of mystery, uh, oftentimes we think of it in a different way. Now, we've talked about this many times, so uh, hopefully most of you know exactly what I'm about to say. But the Greek word that's translated mystery, again, it's a transliterated word, which means they, they took the Greek letters and just changed them into English letters because the Greek word was mysterion. Sound familiar? Okay, so they just created an English word for it. But what, what mystery was, and when we think of a mystery, we think of, uh, you know, a crime was, was committed and a detective tries to solve it and figures out the clues to solve the mystery. Well, in the Bible, when you read about a mystery in the New Testament, it's describing something that was hidden in the Old Testament and now revealed in the New Testament through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what a mystery is. And so the deacon must hold to what has been revealed in the New Testament through Christ. We call that the faith, the mystery of the faith, the collection of doctrine, the collection of teaching that's come down to us through the apostles and through the written word of God as it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the deacon is to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So he has a clear conscience because he obeys the truth. Oftentimes, I describe this to prospective deacons in this way. Your, your talk talks and your walk talks, the way you live, right? And so what you say you believe has to be backed up by the way you live. And if that is the case, you are qualified to serve as a deacon. Now, none of us do this perfectly because we're sinners, right? Our lives don't 100% of the time back up what we say we believe. But there should be a consistency, a trending in a man's life to serve as a deacon that what he says he believes, his life backs it up. And I dare say that should also be true for you and I as Christians in God's church, right? No hypocrisy. So uh, a clear or pure conscience exists when a person lives out their biblical convictions. And then uh, the next qualification, let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons. Speaking of their spiritual service here in verse 9, this is actually an imperative, a command. They must be tested. When it says let them also be tested, it's actually written in the form of a command. They must be tested. Deacons are continually tested. That test is an ongoing assessment by the church of each deacon's service to Christ. And that's why we have term limits, one of the reasons why we have term limits for deacons, so that every three years the church can decide if this person is still qualified to serve, continue serving as a deacon. And if something happens along the way where that deacon is disqualified because of whatever reason, uh, then the leadership team will step in and ask that person to step down from that role. Um, and take whatever other steps may be appropriate to the situation. And before a person becomes a deacon, the pastors interview that man, and we go through every one of these qualifications with them and ask them, is this true in your life? We ask their wives, is this true in your husband's life? We are testing them to make sure that they are 
able to serve as deacons. And so that is uh, how we test the deacons and try to fulfill that command. And then verse 10, uh, the second part of verse 10 there, it says, if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve. So this blameless qualification uh, is not any lower for the servant than it is for the shepherd. If you look back in the early verses of chapter 3, you'll see that also the bishop, the overseer, the pastor, the elder must also work hard at being blameless. Um, So even though the function is different between the deacon and the pastor, this is the same qualification. And and this has the idea, again, it doesn't mean that a, a pastor or a deacon is perfect because I'm here to tell you, none of us are, okay? And you already know that. Okay, But what I am here to tell you is that there should be nothing in our lives for which we could be accused and disqualified according to these qualifications. So these qualifications consist of what it means for an elder or for a deacon in this case to remain blameless. They need to live these qualifications out. Um, And then verse 11, we don't often talk about uh, verse 11. Let me just mention it briefly. It talks about the wives. In the original language, I will tell you, it doesn't say wives, it says women. And so for that reason, some churches have women deacons as well as uh, men deacons. And this is not an issue of great doctrinal difference to us. Uh, We do believe, however, that the best understanding of the women in this portion of scripture is the wives of the deacons um, because it's right in the middle of the section talking about the male deacons and again it speaks about the male deacons right after this as well so we always have taken this as the wives of the deacons and what it says about the wives of the deacons is that they also must be dignified taking serious things in a serious way Not slanderers, not people who gossip and talk about people sinfully behind their backs. That cannot happen. And they must be sober-minded and faithful in all things. So the wives of the deacons are called upon to be godly women as well, as the men are called to be. And then um, it goes on to describe in verse 12 some of the family qualities of the deacon. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. There's a lot of misunderstanding about this verse, and and I will tell you that in the church, uh, over many generations, there have been different interpretations of what this means. Some people say that this means that if a person's ever been divorced, they can't become a deacon because they've been the husband of more than one wife. I will tell you that's not what this verse means. But there are many people who have taught that over the years. Um, This would also preclude, if we had that same understanding, someone um, who was a widower from becoming a deacon because they no longer have a wife. And this says they must have a wife. And so there's different ways to interpret this. It also would be for a single young man who is not yet married. They would be, in some cases, restricted from serving as a deacon because they don't have a wife. And it says here they have to be the husband of one wife. Those interpretations, I would tell you, are not correct. Uh, what I want to share with you is the correct interpretation. And this is what it means. The husband of one wife literally, in the Greek language, means a one-woman man. That's what it means. One-woman 
man. And it speaks to his character. Um, It speaks to the idea that a deacon is not to be unfaithful, either in his actions or his attitudes toward the woman who is his wife. Is he devoted to her? And so we bring up, when we talk to deacons in interviews, we bring up their sexual morality. Are you being faithful? Are you looking at pornography? Are you struggling with different things in your life like this? Because you need to be completely committed to your wife. That's what this verse means. And so I do believe that men who have been divorced but yet have proved themselves faithful to their new wife over a period of time, it would take time to prove that faithfulness and that commitment, they could serve again as deacons at some point in the future. But this is what this means. So the morality, uh, the commitment, the faithfulness of a husband to his wife. And then finally, managing their children and their own households well. Speaking of their, their, their home life, just like a pastor has to demonstrate leader in his home, so does a deacon. This is a similar qualification for both offices. They must manage their children and possessions well. They must prove they have leadership ability by how capably they handle situations and solve problems in their own homes. In fact, uh, again, speaking of the Puritans, the Puritans used to call the home the little church. And if you can't take care of the little church, you can't take care of the big church. And so now a couple of caveats with that. Obviously, there are times when um, adult children uh, who are no longer living at home, they've moved out, they've gone on their way, sometimes they don't follow Christ. That grieves our heart. That grieves a father, a godly father and mother. It grieves their hearts. That does not disqualify a man from serving. In fact, even if you had a child still living in your home who was a sinner. Imagine that. The question here is not that you have a child who is a sinner or not. The question is, how do you, according to the text, manage your children? So is, does, does this man in question just let his children run wild, do whatever they want, Or is he managing his home well? Is he disciplining? Is he instructing? Is he managing his home as God would intend? Then he could help to manage the church of God. And so that's what that qualification means. So those are the basic qualifications for someone to serve as a deacon at Heather Hills. It's also the uh, qualifications that I would suggest are good for all Christians to attain to, good for all of us to pursue. And then a third, care, uh, a third point, if you're taking notes, is that of tradition. And I want to say here is where we step away from the Bible for just a moment, okay? Um, and I don't usually preach things that aren't the Bible, so don't consider this preaching, okay? This is more of just informational or sharing. But because of some of these biblical qualifications, because of some of the experiences that churches have had in their history, because of wisdom issues that have arisen along the way, we also have a couple of additional qualifications for deacons that are not found in Scripture. 
that we believe are just wise. And so a couple of those uh, that we have here is, uh, one, as I mentioned before, a deacon has a term limit. So a deacon can serve for three years and then be reelected for another three years. After those six years, he's required to sit out for a year. We have uh, a few men that are being considered for deacon this year. You'll vote on them next Sunday, who sat out 2022 as a deacon because of this principle. Um, And so that is to give them rest, to give them refreshment, to let them clear their heads, get some new perspective, uh, spend a little extra time with their families and, and other things that they're involved in. And then uh, when they're ready to serve again uh, as the Lord leads. Uh, Deacons are also required in our church to be at least 25 years old. That's not a biblical number. That's not a magic number. We just believe that there's wisdom there in having some level of maturity. A person needs to be observed for a period of time in order to know if these character qualities are in them. And so we think that's a wise thing. They also need to be a member of our church for at least two years before becoming a deacon. And so that is just to guard against people who uh, may come in from other places with all kinds of baggage that's not dealt with. And the two years gives us time to get to know each other, to get to know who they are, who we are, uh, to understand the culture of our church, Um, to learn to know people and love people and serve people so they can show us already that they are servants uh, before they would be considered to serve as a deacon. And let me say at this point that um, also the deacons serve with our pastors as part of what we call the the church leadership team, as you know. Uh, We meet once a month um, uh, as a group. Uh, And let me say at this point, it is a great joy to serve with our deacons. Uh, The Lord has given us a determination to lead biblically uh, and with unity, uh, no matter what challenges we may face. Uh, I will tell you that we are first brothers in Christ uh, and then officers in Christ church. So we have a camaraderie, a family spirit when we get together. We're not just doing business. We're not just, you know, part, we're not just corporation officers getting together to hash out numbers and make cold decisions. No, no, no. We are loving family brothers who are getting together, praying, and sometimes agonizing over things that, that need to be done in the church uh, to come to a good unity. Uh, we spend a great deal of time in prayer for you and hopefully care for you. Um, And hopefully these men evidence to you the servant's heart of the Lord Jesus on an ongoing basis. That is their role in the church. And if they're not, uh, we want to know that as well. So please please let us know that. All right, I'm going to ask the praise team to return to the stage. But as they do, let's look at a final um, couple of verses here in our text as I bring this to a conclusion this morning and just a thought of application. Uh, First, there's a blessing For faithful deacons, look at verse 13. Those who serve well as deacons gain, they gain two things, a good standing for themselves and also great confidence that is in Christ Jesus. 
So two things are added to the faithful deacon, respect and confidence. One of those leads to uh, this deacon becoming a model that others can emulate, and the other leads to greater usefulness and effectiveness. And so that is a great joy to see, uh, and I can tell you that over time, um, I see this happening among men that serve in our leadership team. And it is a great, great joy to watch it happen, to watch the confidence in the Lord increase, to see them um, have more influence among, in the church and among others in a godly way, leading by example, leading by mentoring, and bringing along uh, disciples, Timothys, alongside of themselves. So that, it's a great blessing to serve uh, in, in the deacon role. And then secondly, there's a reminder of who we are and whom we serve. Look at verses 14 to 16 in closing. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says to Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you, so if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is why he wrote his letter, his first letter. He's helping Timothy to organize the church, to run it properly which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And there's that word again, mystery. That was, was hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament in Christ. And I love the connection to Christmas that's here because this body of truth, this mystery of godliness, this mystery of the faith that deacons are called to hold on to, to defend and to preserve and to spread, that all of us are called to, um, is, is contained right here in summary. And look at the very first part of this body of truth. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. And you know what that's talking about? Bethlehem. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first part of this body of doctrine, this body of faith. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So let's never forget that as we do the work of the church, the business of the church, we are part of something that is much greater than ourselves, than our one local body here. We are part of the, the larger body of Christ. And even in our choice of deacons and other elected positions, as we will do that next Sunday, we are to be focused on Jesus Christ. He is the head of this body. He is the Savior of the world. Without him, all of this doesn't mean anything. And so we are looking for deacons who are Jesus men, first and foremost, gospel-centered, front and center of their lives. And uh, those are the men who are hoping to serve you again this year uh, as the Lord allows.